The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Quentin Fottrell, the Managing Editor for Personal Finance at Market Watch. Together here with me is my colleague, Andrew Kirshner, Personal Finance Reporter at Market Watch and our resident tax reporter. Um, we're going to talk about taxes, memes, and, well, COVID-19 plays a role, of course, in everything that we talk about today. Um, great to have you here, Andy. Thank you for having me, as always. Good to see you. My pleasure. Um, last year, you know, an understaffed and overwhelmed IRS worked very hard to process people's tax returns. Erin M. Collins, the National Taxpayer Advocate, wrote in her yearly report to Congress last month, and I'm going to quote for you, Andy, calendar year 2021 was surely the most challenging year taxpayers and tax professionals have ever experienced. Long processing and refund delays, difficulty reaching the IRS by phone, correspondence that went unprocessed for many months, collection notices issued while taxpayer correspondence was awaiting processing, limited or no information on where's my refund tool for delayed returns. And in full disclosure, she also said that people did also have difficulty obtaining timely assistance from the Taxpayer Advocate Service. So good luck getting the IRS on the phone is what I have to say. You know, they've obviously had a lot to deal with these past two years, Andy, three rounds of pandemic-related stimulus checks, uh, advanced payments on the child tax credit, among other things. So they've been working really hard. They've done a stellar job under the circumstances, given given the increased responsibilities that they've shouldered. But that won't be a consolation to millions of taxpayers who are awaiting their refunds or, or just waiting on hold. So my first question to you, Andy, as our tax reporter, will this year be more complicated than those past? Yeah, I, I think so. And what you mentioned about Aaron Collins is hitting right on that point. I mean, as a starting point, taxes are always complicated no matter what year you're in. There can be new laws, new regulations. Um, and, you know, so those are things that you've got to deal with. And then there's going to be new developments in your own life. Maybe you had a child. Maybe you got married. Maybe you bought a home. Maybe you refinanced your mortgage. Maybe you started a business. Those are all important life events. And they're also tax events. Um, what's going to make this year more tricky are the consequences. If the IRS spots some discrepancy or some potential error or, or, or something, something that doesn't quite fit, um, that's going to delay uh, the processing of your return and your refund. And the IRS is already badly backlogged to begin with, as, as you noted. Um, we're talking millions of unprocessed hard copy returns from last year. 
by uh, Aaron Collins's count, that included 6 million unprocessed original returns, 2.3 million unprocessed amended returns as of December. So you have the usual complexity of taxes, and then you also have complexity from provisions like payouts on your third stimulus check, the, the $1,400 ones, uh, and you have payouts on the remainder of the enhanced child tax credit. Um, and so those are potential potholes and opportunities for things to go wrong and for your return to get gummed up um, and then for a delay in your refund. And no one wants that. Um, you know, as of earlier this uh, this month, the IRS says it's issued 4.3 million refunds for a combined 9.5 billion. Um, as some context, it's uh, expecting 160 million returns, individual returns, more than 160 million. So that's a start, but we've got a long way to go. Ah, so I have a question. Are people really taking their refunds in crypto uh, given that the average tax return so far this year is about $2,300, this seems like a risky business. Now, I happen to know that you've written about this and that Coinbase and TurboTax have joined forces. So what's going on here, Andy? Yeah, so this you're right. This is not something that the IRS is, you know, it's, the IRS is not going to um, convert your refund into Bitcoin. Um, but as you noted, uh, TurboTax and Coinbase are teaming up to make this an opportunity. So if you do your taxes through TurboTax, um, you, you're, you're going to have this option where your refund can get beamed into uh, your Coinbase account if you have one. Um, it can sit there as um, U.S. dollars and the account holder can determine at a later date what sort of trades or conversions they want to make using that money or Coinbase will offer to make that conversion for you right now. Um, so just because you can do it, I've talked to financial advisors who say you do that doesn't mean you should do it. Um, and the reason is, is that a person's refund is a really important piece of money that comes into a person's life every year. Um, many people use it to pay off debts. They use it to build up their emergency savings. Um, you, of course, you could use it as your, you know, you could use it to bolster your portfolio, but um, to do it through crypto, you know, building up your crypto holdings, that's that's a risky way of doing it, they know. Uh, I mean, maybe it goes up and the gamble pays off, and maybe it goes down, and that's a problem. I mean, when I last looked today, Bitcoin was valued at um, $43,500, um, but that's compared to the mid to upper 60s. Um, 60,000 mark where it was at certain points in the fall. So, uh, you know, again, just because you can doesn't mean you necessarily should. So what about those people then, Andy, who have invested in crypto or meme stocks? And uh, I know you've talked to a few of them during the course of your reporting. What, what about these folks? What's in store for them this tax season? Well, um, potentially a bad surprise, a bad tax surprise in the form of a much smaller refund or, or a tax bill that they might not be able to afford. So suppose someone got swept up in all of the you know, GameStop AMC mania of early 2021, and they were buying stock, they were selling it, they were playing the market to achieve higher and higher um, profits for themselves. And they kept those profits in the market. Um, when you buy and you sell within a one year time, 
um, that's a short-term capital gain. And um, the money you make in your short-term capital gains, um, that gets taxed, that counts as ordinary income. And that, you know, so it kind of falls into whatever, you know, wherever you end up in your income tax brackets at the end from the 10% to the 37%. Um, if you hold capital, if you hold your capital asset and you make your sale um, beyond a year, you get taxed at that lower rate. So now uh, in the lower rate up to 20% for the, the high end, but, you know, 15 and, and 0% for many people. So now bring it back to the market this year. Uh, it's uh, it's a different story. The market's been choppy um, in in the at the end of last year and going into this year. And if your cash is still tied up in your portfolio, um, it, you have essentially a 2021 uh, 2021 tax bill, um, and you're going to have to pay for it with your 2022 portfolio holdings. Um, and you might not be able to afford that. Uh, again, GameStop. Last year at its pinnacle, uh, it was trading at um, $325 per share. Uh, for now, the stock is valued at around 130 AMC. It once traded under 60 last year. Now it's at uh, $20. So, um, you know, if you held all your money in there, uh, you know, again, that value is gone for now. Um, many people who got into you know, the meme stock mania, they may have skewed younger or less experienced and they might not be aware of the tax implications. And now they'll be getting a rude awakening when they get their 1099s um, from their broker, uh, you know, the notice of their proceeds. Right. And uh, most people, you know, they want to, we want to get in and out of tax season without breaking anything. Right. And that's make that as like not making any mistakes or raising any flags for a tax or audit and on that subject i want to remind people to to um post their questions but we do have a question here from a reader who wants to know the best way to avoid a tax audit uh, we probably all know that the higher your income first of all and the more complicated your taxes the greater chance you have of being audited and that's based on irs tax figures tax audit figures and taxpayers can get flagged for forgetting important forms, mixing up numbers, erroneously claiming tax breaks. Uh, but sometimes one mistake can open the door for the IRS to take a closer look at the rest of the return. And so report all of your income is the obvious number one piece of advice to, the, to our reader. Uh, and that, that even includes things like gambling winnings. Uh, exaggerating charitable contributions is another way, very easy way to get flagged. While many tax players forget to write all furniture, clothing, and other items they donate to charity, claiming those items incorrectly or again exaggerating their value could also get return get a return flagged by the IRS. Uh, clothes and home appliances must be valued. I don't know if you realize this, Andy, at their thrift store prices and not obviously at their original sale prices. That's for people who are filling out those those forms at their goodwill stores um self-employed taxpayers again especially this year the great resignation um need to be careful when claiming tax breaks and writing off business expenses if they don't want to get a double take from the irs taxpayers often forget for example that only 50 percent of business meal and entertainment expenses can be deducted and they must be identified as business costs the IRS says you can't 
deduct expenses for meals that are lavish or extravagant, their words. So people looking to write off travel expenses should keep those logs of uh, business trips and visits made to clients for work-related travel costs. Um, uh, so just some perhaps um, uh, familiar uh, territory there, but always worth remembering. Um, words of caution, right, Andy? Yeah, yeah, definitely true words of caution. Um, one more I would add to that is um, if you, on, when it comes to avoiding your audit, um, any audit, do not play games when you're reporting any sort of cryptocurrency holdings. Um, the IRS thinks there's a lot of crypto-related profits that are going uh, untaxed or undertaxed, and it's very serious about tracking them down. This is something they've been talking up for years, um, and there's no sign of relenting. Uh, IRS Commissioner Chuck Reddick last year said that the yearly gap between taxes owed and taxes paid could be $1 trillion uh, when you factor in all the underreported and unreported crypto gains on top of other potential culprits like um, opaque business arrangements or offshore accounts. So it's very much something that they uh, care about a lot. Um, and in fact, uh, this year, uh, like last year, high up in the uh, 1040, they are asking this yes or no question. Quote, at any time during 2021, did you receive, sell, exchange, or otherwise dispose of any financial interest in any virtual currency? Um, our MarketWatch's tax columnist, Bill Bischoff, he's pointed out the scenarios where you check yes include when you sold crypto, uh, when you were paid in crypto, um, when you got crypto because of mining or staking activities, or you got it through a hard fork, or you swapped crypto for property, goods, or services, uh, traded it for another form of cryptocurrency. Um, if during 2021, you just held your crypto in a, in, a, in a wallet, a digital wallet, and you moved it from one crypto wallet to another one that you control, that can be a no. Um, there are interest penalties and, you know, most and even more extreme, uh, you know, the possibility of criminal liability if some sort of audit uncovers unreported crypto or any sort of unreported assets. Um, you know, I've talked to accountants who specialize in cryptocurrency tax compliance, and they say you need to think long term um, about this sort of stuff. The IRS antennas are going to stand up on edge um, if after many years of a taxpayer, you know, checking no on the box um, or, or saying they haven't had cryptocurrency, all of a sudden they're uh, the, the person maybe makes it big on their holdings and they uh, cash out uh, a bit and they come into a lot of money. Um, the IRS revenue agents are going to be curious to know how long this has been going on. So you need to think carefully. Right. I was, I was going to add that I'm going to buy a bigger coffee cup with my next tax refund, Andy. <laughs> that, that's a, I like that. That's a, that's a, that's a wise investment. <laughs> Something that our podcast listeners will be, thankfully, won't have to see. Um, so we have a question here from Bob. Uh, about the odds. What are the odds that the personal income taxes will rise over the next three years? I should probably add, and also based on your own reporting, Andy, that well, the tax income filing season started on January 24th and runs through to April 18th, yet the tax brackets and the standard deduction amounts that people are applying now were announced in October 2020, 
and we just had 7.5% inflation. So in a way, we're all paying more, really, um, you know, getting less of, of a bang for our buck. But um, what do you have to say to Bob, Andy? Yeah, you know, I mean, we this past year was this uh, this uh, DC Washington DC plotline of will they or won't they um, raise taxes, uh, you know, on on businesses and on wealthy taxpayers. Um, Democrats poked and prodded at all all sorts of parts of the tax code. They wanted, you know, at one point to raise the top rate. They wanted to raise the capital gains rate uh, for uh, people making above a million. There was ideas about um, taxing your unrealized assets. So there was all of um, there was definitely this willingness, and they never got it across the the finish line. Um, that doesn't mean that is over. Um, you know, this this the odds of personal income tax rising in the next three years. I mean, that very much depends on. Um, election cycles and the midterms and then what happens down the road. Uh, you know, really the, the hang up was um, getting people like uh, Senators Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema on board with um, tax hikes. Uh, so, I, I mean, if Democrats bring on more Democrats, uh, they could conceivably um, get those higher uh, rates going. But uh, so far, a lot of polling suggests they're in trouble. So I, I don't know. I, I've heard even longer term, maybe not in the three years, but long term, people don't put figures on it. People say, look, at the end of the day, someone's got to pay for all this. So at some point, taxes are going to go up somehow. Um, it explains a lot of why a lot of people um, like Roth IRAs, where you, you pay your tax now and you get it out of the way um, on the wager that um, wait, taxes are going to go up later. So uh, the, the guess is ultimately yes, but really um, what happened um, to be continued. Okay. So, and, and, and I want to flag the inflation uh, concern and also uh, uh, readers, uh, redirect readers to your um, story. Don't count on the IRS tax code, catching up with high inflation by Andy Kirshner. It's a great read. And you can um, get more on on why your um, uh, tax brackets are not going to catch up with inflation anytime soon. But we have another question here from a reader, Andy. Is it the end of generous child care credits? Well, you know, it's it's quite possible. But uh, as a wise man once said, it ain't over till it's over. Um, and we're talking here specifically about the child tax credit. Rewind to last year, um, March of 2021, um, Demo Democratic lawmakers, they, they passed the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan with an array of ways to help struggling families and businesses and get the economy turbocharged. Um, and uh, one of those was um, beefing up the child tax credit. Uh, it went from $2,000 in the maximum payout to $3,000 per child uh, for children 6 through 17 and um, $3,600 for, uh, uh, for uh, children under that age. Right. And you got it split in two bits. Uh, the advance payments, one half came in advance payments, which came from July through December. And then the other half comes in the conventional way in the lump sum 
that gets uh, turned into tax, uh, you know, gets lumped into your tax refund at the end. Um, this happened, this ran through December of 2000, uh, uh, December of 15th. Um, as noted, you know, Democrats couldn't get their Build Back Better agenda across the finish line last year. So um, it didn't live on. Uh, the Biden administration, they initially wanted it through 2025, and then it got whittled back to just a one-year extension. Um, and uh, Joe Manchin um, did wanted a work requirement, and um, other uh, senators balked at that. Um, but more recently, we've heard some other senators like Michael Bennett of Colorado saying that uh, Manchin, quote, hasn't slammed the door on this, you know, some form of the enhanced tax credit coming through. And then you have people like Mitt Romney, senator in Utah, who has his um, uh, Family Security Act, uh, which is also uh, an idea about recurring monthly payments to parents raising kids. Um, that would be um, $250 for households bringing up kids under age five. I'm sorry, $350 for parents uh, bringing up um, um, kids age under five and $250 um, up through six to age 17. So we have things bubbling, uh, but nothing to show for it yet. Um, and, you know, to be clear, if there's no deal, uh, it just reverts. The, CT, the child tax credit doesn't go away. It just reverts back to the original form. One right. thing that I right. do know for certain, though, is um, there's a very good chance that a person's refund is going to be smaller this year compared to last year because of the child tax credit. Um, the reason is, is you got half, even though it's bigger, you got half of it already. So the lump sum that's still coming to you is smaller than the lump sum that you then you would have had in previous years. So, you know, for example, it's a instead of two thousand dollars. It would be a, um, a $1,500 payout for a family of, you know, raising someone, uh, raising a child between age six and 17, or $1,800 for the family of, uh, you know, raising someone, uh, a child under age six. You know, I've talked to advisors, financial advisors, and they say they've been flagging clients that, hey, this is, this is going to happen. This is a real possibility. Um, and some people know it, but sometimes seeing that number, uh, it, it, it hits in a different way. So that is that is definitely something to be ready for. Right. So the right. keyword there, keyword there, Andy, is an advance. It's an advance. Uh, right. Hence the lower tax refund. So why do uh, Americans pay so much to file the returns? Uh, the average tax preparer fee in New York, for example, runs around one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty dollars, and you know, but it can go much higher than that if you want to use if you want to use somebody in person and you have more complicated tax returns but is this a complaint that you hear a lot yeah i mean you know let's let's face it taxes are complicated and people will pay someone else to deal with it you know make it their headache not mine um and they'll they'll pay that money uh, to just to get out of the way get the refund and move on with their lives but why does it have to be so complicated? Um, this is this is a, like a long-standing issue, um, and despite talk for years about simplifying the tax code and the tax return filing process, uh, we heard from, there was one uh, emeritus professor from Vanderbilt who says companies in the tax preparation industry they've lobbied for years to keep the complications intact. 
and um, to keep government from doing more to help uh, people file for free. Um, on top of it all, I mean, I should I should say there is free tax preparation that is out there. Um, there's the free file program through IRS where the IRS teams up with software companies and that will do your return for free. There's VITA, which is the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, uh, the low income uh, tax clinic in tax clinics for senior citizens. But these have income thresholds, uh, many of these programs. And then like everything else, the pandemic has made everything else even more difficult. Um, you know, I've talked to organizers running some of these programs and they say it's tougher to find volunteers uh, who uh, feel who are all right with sitting in close quarters with someone they never met uh, and helping them out on their taxes. Um, in 2019, the VITA program, the Volunteer Income Taxing, that, that program and the Tax Counseling for the Elderly, um, these are both IRS-led programs run through organizations like United Way and, and AARP. They prepared 3.6 million returns with 82,000 volunteers. In 2020, um, the last year that data was available, they prepared 1 million fewer returns with 10,000 fewer volunteers. So we have that, um, that access issue as well. Right. And, you know, I, I see estimates that it will be take around 21 days to to uh, get your tax return after you filed. But then there are, you know, 24 million um, taxpayers still waiting on their returns from the previous year. There's a backlog that's going to, you know, uh, affect this year's um, speedy tax returns as well. So uh, or the speed of the tax returns. So that's all worth keeping in mind. Um, also uh, want to just uh, remind the audience to submit questions as well. We have a question from a reader, Joseph, on mortgage interest deduction and whether there have been any changes on that since Pre President Biden took office. Our tax columnist, Bill Bischoff, and our Market Watch housing reporter, Jacob Passi, have both written extensively about this issue former, you may remember, former President Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act limited itemized deductions for personal state and local property taxes and personal state and local income taxes to a combined total of only $10,000, $5,000 if you use married filing separate status. And the Democrats have said they would provide, quote unquote, meaningful relief on those taxes, um, their word. Uh, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act um, does allow you to deduct interest on up to $750,000 of mortgage debt incurred to buy or improve a first or second residence. For those who use married filing separate tax status, the home acquisition debt limit is obviously smaller, $375,000. Uh, probably worth remembering that prior to the legislation, homeowners could deduct interest on up to $1 million in mortgage debt if the original loan used to buy, build, or improve a home um, originated between October 1987 and December 2017. And, that's, uh, and they allowed you to previously deduct $500,000 for those who used married filing separate status. Um, so we have a lot of that reporting on our site, but... Uh, 
the, I think the overall um, message there, Andy, is that most American homeowners will really be unaffected by the limits on deducting home mortgage interest rate interest introduced under the prior administration. Those with those higher um, uh, valued properties and mortgages will obviously have to pay closer attention to that. Um, Andy, uh, what are the best ways to invest your refund? I know you've you've spoken some uh, some about this. So, yeah, the the best way is I mean, first off, as a starting point, um, make sure you're building up your emergency savings, your debt free, um, and is on, on those debts. That's especially so at a time when we have rate hikes coming from the Fed, um, because uh, those rate hikes are gonna bump up credit card APRs, and that's going to make it more expensive to carry a balance month to month. Now, that being said, if you are, you know, if you're free and clear on those two fronts, you're, you're set with your savings, you're good on your, uh, your debts, um, there's all sorts of ways you can put your refund money back to work in the market for you. Um, you know, on along the lines of rate hikes, uh, inflation, that's like the economic story right now. And people have told me a good, safe way to get a nice return in this market are I-bonds. Um, these are the U.S. savings bonds with a fixed rate of interest. They get reset every six months. Right now, the rate is 7.12%. Uh, um, and it's an IOU from Uncle Sam, so it's a it's a the return is a safe bet. Um, one advisor I talked to said, "What other fixed income out there are you going to find with a rate with a rate like that?" Um, everything has its downside, of course. Uh, when it when it comes to I bonds, it's the fact that you can't redeem your money um, until at least one year, and if you do it before five years, you're going to lose three months the previous three months of interest. Um, but if you're looking for a good way, a good, safe way to invest in the midterm and long term, um, this can be one thing you can do. Uh, you can actually apply your refund money directly to the purchase of I-bonds. IRS will help you with that. Um, or you could just refund your cat, get your refund cash, turn around and buy them. Um, I asked this question in a different context earlier this year about uh, how to use your child tax credit money. Um, one idea was opening up or putting money into the 520 year of uh, 529. These are these the tax advantaged um, accounts for education. Uh, you know you don't get a federal deduction for these contributions, um, uh, but you the money grows ta free of federal tax and it comes out tax free when it's uh, for qualified expenses for education uh, like tuition. Another idea is making sure you have a will. Um, these are uh, these can be done for prices between a hundred and a thousand dollars and Quentin, I know you you know as uh, the moneyest you uh, you know all too well about the havoc and in and in, in, in heartache that can happen when um, people die without wills. Um, and you know the other idea is of course putting it back into use your refund cash in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. Um, the one thing there I talked to advisors say, you've got to know yourself. Uh, I mean, how do you handle an influx of cash? Do you, um, you know, stay disciplined and, you know, put it towards your goals or do you kind of get distracted by purchasing flashy new stuff? And, and maybe that's, maybe you'd want to 
purchase some flashy new stuff, but um, maybe if, if their goal is uh, investing, you've, you've got to know yourself and stick with it. Right. And I think we have finally a question from Mustafa. We have to sign off now, but he, he asked, can you give us the statistical chance of an audit? So I thought we might end on some good news. You know, uh, if you earn um, less than, uh, you know, $500,000 a year, your chances are less than 1%. Um, uh, so uh, keep that in mind. When you when you go over a million, then it creeps up to like 2.5, and then it goes up and up and up and up. So I think most of us don't need to worry about that as long as we, we um, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's and our tax returns. Uh, but we're, that's all we have time for today, unfortunately. But thank you, Andy. That was a, a real well of information. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. And thanks to everybody for joining in and tuning in. Please join us tomorrow. Barron's Senior Managing Editor, Lauren Rublin, and healthcare industry reporter, Josh Nathan Cassis, discuss what's new in healthcare investing. And they also provide an update on COVID-19 treatments and vaccines. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and have a wonderful rest of your day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.